What a sweet and encouraging morning of worship. And now we're going to continue to worship uh, as we look to God's Word. I invite you to turn with me to John chapter 7. Uh, as you do, I'll tell you, we're going to look to verses 1 through 13 this morning. But I want to acknowledge that John chapter 7 is, is one continuous narrative. In order to somewhat manage our time, <laughs> maybe more importantly manage our application, we're going to look to these first 13 verses, but understand this. The application we draw out of these first 13 verses, uh, they, they flow out of the gospel that is presented in the context of the whole. So in verse 37 and 38, Jesus says this, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That's where we're going over the next few weeks. Uh, but today, we're going to look to these first 13 verses and, and see that though Jesus is focused on living water, here the brothers are more concerned about how to brand it. Let's ask the Lord to bless our time in his word and we expose these temptations in our own heart. Would you bow with me? Father, as we come to, uh, to this, your word, would you give us understanding? Would you give us ears to hear? Would you give us a heart to reflect, to see Jesus more clearly, and to understand the ways in which we look to him falsely? Would you bring con conviction? And would you bring comfort through the gospel of Jesus Christ? In his name we pray. Amen. As this is the inerrant and infallible word of God. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. And the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to the feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, but not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? There was much muttering about him among the people. While some said he's a good man, others said, no, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly about him. This is the word of the Lord. Do you ever take the time, or maybe let me encourage you to take the time, to reflect on what shapes your view of the Christian life? What shapes your view of the, uh, the practice of spiritual disciplines, or perhaps your lack of practice of the spiritual disciplines? 
What shapes the way you relate to others inside the church and outside of the church? What shapes your priorities when it comes to worship? What, what I hope we see in this text and hope to draw out for us is that our life of worship in here, in this context, and our life of worship out there, of daily following Jesus, it, it flows out of what it is that we believe about Jesus. And what we see here in these opening verses of John chapter 7 is, uh, is we see a false understanding of Jesus and his brothers. It's about us. It's about us. Let's draw it out from the text and, and explore it for ourselves. I'll set the scene. Uh, verse 2 tells us that the Feast of Booths is at hand. Uh, the Feast of Booths was uh, is sometimes also known as the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a feast meant to, to celebrate God's provision for the Israelites as they were wandering in the wilderness. And so they would, they would spend this, this time living in, in tents and uh, in, in booths of, made of uh, branches and, and leaves. Over the course of this feast, they would offer a series of, of sacrifices and, and that sort of a culmination of the feast, the, the priest would draw water from the pool at Siloam to remember, to commemorate the Lord providing water from the rock in the wilderness. The feast was celebrated in the fall, but also celebrated God's provision for the harvest. So in your mind, think Thanksgiving it was a time when the crowds swelled to overflowing in Jerusalem. And yet, meanwhile, Jesus was, was ministering in, in the relative quiet of Galilee, up in the north, in the hinterland. Yes, we've seen in, in the opening of, of John that there were crowds that were growing. They had seen the miracles. They would come to hear the teaching. But Jesus was, was outside of the center of, of Jewish religion and, and cultural focus. Now, there was a purpose behind that. as There was a purpose for his life and, and all of his labors, but not all around him understood that purpose. And so we have here the mention of his brothers. Brothers were were his blood brothers, his, the, the, the sons and, and possibly also the daughters of, of Mary. They were the ones who were closest to him, his closest family. They had witnessed the, the works that he had been doing, the miracles. They had seen the crowds come. They had heard his teaching. And so with all of that and knowing the feast that was taking place in verses 3 and 4, they offered for him some advice. Maybe some career counseling. You might paraphrase it this way. Hey, Jesus, it's time to get out of the backwaters. <laughs> it's, it's time to take this show down to Jerusalem. We, <coughs> we, can, we can pull together an agent for you. We can, we can get some speaking arrangements. It's time to, to do some branding behind this campaign. Let's take it big. On the surface, all that sort of makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, think about it in our day. 
if one wants to make it big in the entertainment industry, what do they do? They, they move to L.A. If they want to make it big in music, they go to Nashville. If, if, they're, if their field is finance or business, they want to go to New York City because those are the places where the action is found. And so if you want to go big in, in religion, if you want to really take hold of this Messiah thing, well, then you've got to get to Jerusalem because that is where the people are. That is where the action is. Some level, again, it makes sense, right? But verse 5 has a very profound statement for us. It tells us that for not even his brothers believed in him. You see, their advice, their career counseling, it flowed out of unbelief. In other words, because they didn't believe, they were sending him out to go big time. Let's think about that for a minute. You may be thinking to yourself, wait a minute, what do you mean they didn't believe? They believed in something, most certainly. They'd seen the miracles. They'd seen the crowds come to him. They believed in his power. But they missed his true identity. His own brothers didn't understand that Jesus was the Son of God. And because they missed that true identity, they missed his true mission. We can do the same. Confused over his true purpose, they created one for him in their own image. <laughs> they created for him the mission that that they desired and gladly cheered him along the path, their path. Why? What do you think it was that Jesus' brothers wanted from Jesus? I believe it was some form of external salvation, salvation out there. One hand, it was a desire for a, for a military political solution to these, these pagan Romans who were occupying Israel. They wanted a restoration of, of Israel's former glory, to a restoration of national pride. That was what the brothers wanted on some level, but it's what all of the crowds wanted. It's why the text keeps telling us that the crowds wanted to take Jesus by force and make him king. They wanted a Messiah. They thought Jesus could be it. But they wanted the Messiah that they imagined. Now, it took on a particular danger for the brothers. Because for the brothers, they also knew that if Jesus was that Messiah, then they got to be in the entourage. They got to enjoy all of the trappings of his office. And so, of course, the brothers are saying, hey, Jesus, let's go big time. We'll help with the branding. And we'll also reap the benefits. There's a cautionary tale in this that begs a question for us. Are we believing in the real Jesus? Brothers, they, they were in the inner circle and they missed him. How about us? How does our belief translate to our life of following. In the passage, 
read this morning. And in the broader chapter, we see roughly three groups of people. We see the brothers who, who seem to be concerned about um, fame and fortune. We see the crowds who were confused about his identity, but they were quieted by fear. And then there are those pesky religious leaders who sought to control him. All of them had differing ideas about Jesus, about who he was and what they wanted out of him, but he wouldn't play their games. He knew who he was, and so he knew why he had come. That meant he didn't get sidetracked. You ever try to walk through a crowd? I mean a big game day crowd. You, it's hard to make a straight path. You're getting knocked every which way pulled and pushed. Jesus had crowds pushing him and pulling him in every direction. But he stayed the course with a redemptive steadfastness. And so in response, Jesus simply said to his brothers, my time has not yet come. He's not saying I don't have time. He's saying my appointed time, the fullness of time has not yet come. When he said this, the brothers most certainly thought Jesus was referring to the feast. But for Jesus, the fullness of time would come on the cross. Because there on the cross, his, his mission, his ministry, and his glory would all intersect. And his sacrifice on our behalf Though the others had their own notions of what redemption was to mean, Jesus remained steadfast to the end. <clears throat> we see that, that steadfastness in his, in his laser focus on the cross, but we also see it uh, in, in his steadfastness along the path. Verse 7, Jesus says that the world hates me. Why did the world hate because he was steadfast in truth. Yes, Jesus was kind. But we tend to think of the kindness of Jesus in, in his affirming me. We confuse kindness with someone who, who won't rock my boat, who will just affirm what I want and who I am. But that was not Jesus' mission. Jesus didn't come to affirm us. Jesus came to proclaim truth. For Jesus, kindness is truth, and he was steadfast in it, never wavering from his proclamation of God's holiness and of our sin. And as he made that proclamation, he made it intensely personal. Sometimes we miss that that is his kindness, that that is his redemptive steadfastness. They heard it all, and they hated him. And so from a human perspective, that is why they killed him. But from, an earth, from a heavenly perspective, death was always the plan. The cross was always God's plan for his son. And that plan would come to fruition in God's timing. So Jesus remained steadfast and responded, I'm not going. Now, maybe we should better understand I am not going as I am not now 
In other words, I'm not going in the way you want me to go. Not with a public display of power. Listen, this scene uh, in John 7, as we've said over and over again, as we've been making our way through John, it's, it's more than an interesting historical narrative. It is meant to minister to us, to cause us to reflect deeply within our own hearts and to consider, are we following the real Jesus or are we following a Jesus of our own creation? The brothers missed his identity and therefore they missed his mission. And so they followed him in a way that was consistent with the mission that they had created. How about us? What we believe about Jesus, it will drive the way we follow him. And over time, the converse is true. The way we follow him will shape what it is that we believe about him and his redemptive mission. So are you believing in a Jesus who has come to affirm you and your desires? Or... Are you believing in a Jesus who transforms hearts? And how does that play out in your life? <clears throat> We're told clearly in, in John 7 that the brothers did not believe. And so this, this message is one for, for non-believers, yes, but, but also for believers who, who, who have a notion of Jesus' redemptive mission. But, but when the world hits... <laughs> tempted to, to change him. We're tempted to follow him in ways that suit our own desires. Can I share a personal story from the early days of church planting? Early on, I remember having a conversation with a, with a friend of mine from my hometown. It's a friend who, who was a member of a big, booming mega church. And, and he, he was so excited when we were talking about church planting and and, uh, and he asked me the question that I would often get. How's the church? I knew what he meant. But you see, this friend asked in a way that was more pointed than, than most people would ask. He said, are y'all just blowing it up? Now, when my friend asked, are y'all just blowing it up? Let me translate what, what he meant. Are the crowds coming? Are you busting at the seams? Is it big? Is it loud? Is it bright? Is it famous? I sheepishly answered for him, no, we, we, have a, we have a different philosophy of ministry. Because I knew what we were called to do, but in my heart I was just dejected. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? I'm not living up to expectations. Even though I didn't share in the expectations that he was placing on me, and so it drove a temptation. I looked around at what others were doing. Their ministry that seemed big and bright and large and, and famous, and it made me tempted to present a Jesus that was just as big and bright and loud and famous. But as I considered it, the temptation was not about Jesus. It was not about making him known, but it was about me. 
and my desire for others to affirm my mission. Listen, there are as many different forms of false following as there are people. But all of them have the same root cause. We miss Jesus' true identity, and so we miss his true mission. And then we recreate him around some external goal. And even those who know better are tempted to fall into this external desire to change Jesus to suit our needs in the moment. For the brothers, it played out and uh, in a desire for Jesus to go and show his power, to go big, to, ad- to advance his place as a Messiah, to, to restore Israel to glory. And the text tells us it was all because they didn't believe. But believers fall into the same temptation. So what is Jesus' true mission? Jesus' true mission, his fundamental purpose for coming and taking on flesh was not to produce a restored version of external moralism. It was not to produce a restored external cultural Christianity, our modern-day version of those who sought to make him Messiah so that he could restore Israel's former glory. No, that was not why Jesus came. Jesus came to save sinners. And for us to embrace his mission is to understand that he is not here to save us from something external, from something out there. The truth that Jesus proclaims that you and I need to hear is that apart from Christ, in our natural state, we are sinners by nature and by action who are separated from a holy God, destined for wrath. Apart from His redeeming and reconciling work for us on the cross, the work that Jesus came a work that we receive by grace alone, through faith alone. And that means that the gospel is intensely personal. It is meant to be transformative. And that means that the gospel is bloody. The gospel is humbling. And yet the gospel, the true gospel, is life-giving. Anything else, anything out there that does not penetrate the inner recesses of our hearts is false. Sometimes we relegate that to those religious leaders. We'll hear about them next week. But the falsehood also comes when we celebrate Jesus to serve our own needs without allowing him access to our heart but is the inner heart transformation that jesus is after it is the mission from which he never wavers because his life is one of redemptive steadfastness that is his missional focus but there's another aspect to his redemptive steadfastness that It's almost easy to gloss over, but it's one that we need to hear this day. 
was steadfast in his patience. Steadfast with his own brothers. We hear here in John 7, 5 that they did not believe in him. But it is not the last time we hear of these brothers in Scripture. Some of us know what it is to have family who doesn't understand us, who doesn't get us. And how do we respond? We respond with despair and frustration, but Jesus' brothers didn't believe. He didn't throw up his hands in frustration and walk away. No, he stayed the course. He stayed the course knowing that the fullness of time would come for him on the cross and that the fullness of time would come for them as well. And so he patiently loved them. He patiently pursued them. I don't know how many siblings that Jesus had, but I know of two, James and Jude. In John 7, they didn't yet believe. They used Jesus for their own purpose, but Jesus patiently shaped and in Acts chapter 114, after Jesus had gone to the cross, after he had, been, uh, after he had died, after he had been buried, after he rose again, after he ascended on high, we see the disciples, and we see Mary, and we see these brothers gathered to pray for the coming of the kingdom of God. These brothers came to know the real Jesus. And later... We have two books of the Bible written by these brothers who could only call themselves servants of Christ Jesus, James and Jude. They're there for us to be encouraged in the church of Jesus Christ. They experienced the work of personal redemption in the fullness of time. So my friends, do you know what this means for us? It means that the real Jesus is steadfast. The real Jesus is patient, and the real Jesus is a redeemer. He's better. He's better than any false Jesus we could create. In John 7, they were confused about the water. We get confused about the water as well. But sooner or later, we all get thirsty. And Jesus bids us come. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. In our thirst, Jesus is patient and steadfast. He says, come to me and I will give you life. Let us follow the real Jesus. And let us live lives shaped by him. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that through your word you speak into our lives. You draw us out of falsehood. You, you expose for all of us to see the real, transforming, life-giving Jesus. Give us hearts to receive him. In his name we pray.